Uh, welcome and good morning. Welcome to worship at Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church. It's good to see all of you. Uh, thank you as well to those of you joining us online uh, with our live stream or after the fact. Welcome as we gather together for church this morning. Uh, it is cold and it is cloudy. It must be winter. Um, we knew it was coming eventually, I suppose. But my friends, on a day like this, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. It is good to gather together in a place that is warm, or approximately. <laughs> it is good to be with brothers and sisters. For these days, the world is full of hard news. And some of us have walked difficult and lonely journeys in these last few days and weeks. And when we come into this place, we don't have to leave those things at the door. For the good news of Advent is that we remember that we live in the wilderness, and it is God who has prepared and made a place in the wilderness for us. During this season, we remember Emmanuel, God with us. We remember and celebrate that we could not find our way back home. And so God came and found us. And right now, my friends, gathered in this place or even at home, wherever you are, it is that same God by his spirit who comes to meet with us. And so would you rise in body or spirit and let's worship. Good morning, everyone. In the season of expectation, we prepare to welcome Jesus Messiah. Into the busyness of our lives and the hard-to-find moments of solitude, we prepare to welcome Jesus Messiah. Into our homes and situations, all along with friends and families, we prepare to welcome Jesus Messiah into our hearts and those often hidden parts of our lives. We prepare to welcome Jesus Messiah. You entered this world vulnerable as any of us in order to nail that vulnerability to the cross. We cannot comprehend the reasoning, only marvel that salvation comes to us through a baby born in a stable and reaches out to a world in need. In this season of anticipation, we prepare to welcome Jesus Messiah. Let's sing. Born thy people to deliver 
child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring, by thine own eternal spirit, reign all our hearts alone. seated. I'd now like to welcome Julie up. Okay. Every family tells stories. We tell stories about people in the family. In return, those stories can tell the family who they are. The family of Israel tells the story of a coming king. Who is he? What is this king like? Matthew begins to answer this question in the opening verses of his gospel. Who is Jesus? He is the son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is descended from Jesse, from Jesse and David and Solomon. His mothers include Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. One of those names is mine. But we aren't just names on a list. We are people with stories of suffering, of faith in God's provision. That is my story. Sometimes all you can do is take a step. When you can't see what's coming next, you take one step forward. And then another. Fear may leave you breathless, but, it can, but can it possibly be worse than where you are right now? That's how I felt. Following Naomi to a strange new country, Naomi had lost her husband and two sons. One of them was my husband. We were starving. Naomi begged me to return to my father's house because he, he, she could not provide for me. But I followed her to Bethlehem in Judea. It was a long journey, step after aching step. There was plenty of time to consider that as a foreigner and a childless widow, I would be at the mercy of Naomi's people. But my love for Naomi and her God kept me walking this road with her. Our people, the Israelites and the Moabites, are related, you know. They call their father is Abraham, as is Lot. The Moabites are despised are a despised people. They called me Ruth of Moab, which was a reminder that I am a foreigner and a judgment on my character. As a widow and a foreigner, all I could offer Naomi was my devotion and the sweat of my brow. It was then, when we had nothing but a promise to each other, that God's grace began to light our way. To provide for the fatherless widow and foreigner, God had commanded the people to set aside a portion of their fields. I could go and glean for food, but in Boaz's field, I found so much more than grain. I found unexpected grace, an abundance of it. 
His protection and provision helped me see that all these, these steps I had been taking into the dark were carrying me in his fields. This winding path from sorrow to joy began with one step. I received hope and future as a wife of Tobias, a mother of Obed, grandfather of King David, and forebearer of the Messiah. It was, I was an outsider drawn into grace. I experienced the joy of stepping out of emptiness into abundance and unmerited redemption. Every family tells stories. My story is about God's unexpected provision in unexpected people, even people who were former enemies, and the joy that comes from knowing God cares for us. Today we light the candle of joy. Joy that God adopts into, us into his family. Joy that the Messiah has come to redeem people of every tribe and tongue. Joy to have found God's love to be deep and high and long and wide. Friends, if you just rise again and we continue our worship. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. 
Even though this says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. He lives as though the light has not defeated the darkness. The world, the And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. We confess that we ignore the light sent to be among us. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth. And thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. He kept the birth of your son, confined to the Christmas season. We do not yet hear him. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to your brightness of your dawn. Lord, come to us in the fullness of Forgive us for not opening our eyes. It is time to prepare. Draw us to your light. And take a, a moment of silent confession. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into this world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Through Christ your sins are forgiven. I'd like to welcome our deacons to come up for our offering. Our first offering that's going to be coming around with the baskets is for the ministries of Pleasant Street. Um, you can also give in the bulletin, there's a QR code or online. And the second basket is for the Healing Heart Hospitality House. Father in heaven, this Advent season, we wait in jo with joy. And Lord, we give in joy. Joy for all that you have given us. Joy because of your sacred promises. Receive these generous gifts, Lord, and use them to spread this joy, peace, and love in our world. Amen. Delivered from our 
no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, His wounds have paid my ransom, why should I gain from His in church, we hear this good news, and we get a chance right now to pass that peace of Christ with each other. So whether it's with a handshake or a friendly wave, friends, let's pass this, this peace. So the peace of Christ is with you. Uh, it's now time for Kid Street, so kids ages four through second grade are invited to come up and be dismissed for Kid Street. The people of God, what is our prayer? The Lord be with you. Go now in peace to love and serve Jesus. Good morning. My name is Sue Cooper. I'm one of the elders here. It's my privilege and honor to lead us in congregational prayer. Before we start, I just want to let you know I love the season of Advent, and one of my favorite things is the music. And my family will attest that between Thanksgiving and New Year's, all I do is play Christmas music. My favorite Christmas carol is O Come, Emmanuel. We sang it two Sundays ago. Um, Pastor Matthew talked about it a little bit uh, last Sunday. But um, the words and the melody express that longing for redemption that we all need. The first verse, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom, Captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to you, O Israel. The first verse expresses the longing of Israel, who hasn't heard from God for over 400 years, but still holds fast to the hope of a Savior. And the last verse, 
O come, O King of nations, bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid our sad divisions cease and be yourself our King of peace. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. This expresses the longing of our present world amid war and strife, division and accusation for the peace of Christ. So please join me in prayer this Advent Sunday. O come, O come, Emmanuel. We long for hope in this broken world. So often we place our hope in things or people. Help us to see that you are the only secure hope in this world. Bless those who are without hope and be their hope. O come, O come, Emmanuel, we long for comfort for the brokenhearted. Wrap your arms around those who mourn the passing of loved ones, whether recent or long past. Bless Dawn and her family and Chuck and Lauren as they mourn the passing of fathers. Grant your comfort to those who mourn lost opportunities, past deeds, or words that shouldn't have been spoken. Your forgiveness covers the past and brings hope for the future. O come, O come, Emmanuel, we long for peace. We pray for those areas in our world where there is war and conflict in Ukraine, Ethiopia, Afghanistan, China, Iran, Yemen, Israel and Palestine, Haiti. O come, Emmanuel, and bring peace. Bring peace in our own country where political division and polarization are pushing people and groups further and further apart. O come, Emmanuel, and bring peace. O come, O come, Emmanuel, we long for healing. In our own community, we pray for Maggie C. and Carol L., Cindy H. and Karen S., Hank and Bev E. Be with Dawn, Flo's son-in-law, bring healing and recovery. We pray for those struggling with mental health issues and for caregivers who so selflessly care for others. O come, O come, Emmanuel, we long for guidance and wisdom. Lead our church as we meet as a congregation this week to choose new elders and deacons to approve a budget and other matters. We need you to show us where you want us to be, what you want us to be doing in the coming year. Guide our youth and young adults as they make life decisions, set their footsteps on your paths. O come, O come, Emmanuel, we long for unity. Help us to set aside differences that don't really matter and focus on you. Help us to listen instead of argue, affirm instead of tearing down, and help us to see that we are not the main event, but you are. Bind us together in love. We rejoice in you. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to you, O Israel. We pray all this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Our reading this morning comes from Matthew 1 and also from Ruth 1 and 4. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. 
So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, 
Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, good morning. As we continue our look at the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1 and the story of Ruth, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, having been gathered here into your house by your Spirit, we ask that by that Spirit you would create space within us now. This is a busy season full of noise and excitement and anticipation and hustle and also sadness. And we are in need of space that is quiet where we can sit and hear your voice. We ask, O oh God, that you would come and do that now, that you would take these words and that you would make them words of good news for us. Amen. Do you remember back in the spring of 2018 when Prince Harry, the English Prince of Wales, married Meghan Markle, the American actress? You remember that? The dress was phenomenal. Everything else has been complicated since then. But we didn't know that then, right? If you can remember what it was like before Megxit, and the tabloids, and the tell-all interview, interviews, you may recall that in the months leading up to Meghan and Harry's wedding, there was a number of stories in the news about her family history, about her genealogy. You see, Miss Markle is an American actress and not an English heiress, so people needed to know, is she related, and how is she related to English society? You see, since before the time of Jane Austen, being a suitable match has been very important in British society, how much more so for a prince. And so during Harry and Meghan's engagement, I remember seeing a headline that came across. It went like this, Henry VIII beheaded one of Meghan Markle's ancestors. Apparently, nothing makes you family quite like a beheading in the English royal family. Anyway, you see, before they could recognize her as a princess, they needed to know, is there royal blood running through her veins? Does she belong? And that is not a question that you can answer with a resume. You need a genealogy. In the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, 
we learn that in order for you to be a priest, as the people of God are, are reestablishing themselves, you had to be able to prove that you were related to the tribe of Levi. They didn't care where you went to seminary. They needed to know that you were related to Levi. That's how you knew you belonged. With a genealogy in Israel, you could elevate your belonging, your qualifications, your status by highlighting the purity of your family history. The more, the more pure your family history, the more qualified you were, the more that you belonged. Belonging was a gradient moving from the outside in. In, uh, in the book of Philippians, we hear Paul claiming to that church that he is descended from Benjamin himself. I don't know who my great-great-grandparents were. Paul can go all the way back to Benjamin. The purer your family history, the more you belonged. The more you belonged, the more qualified you were. But because there's at least one questionable character in every family tree... In a genealogy, you might bring in women in order to highlight your purity. Usually just if they were remarkable, though. Matthew includes some women in Jesus' genealogy. But of course, Matthew includes four women who should disqualify Jesus, if nothing else. Rather than guarantee Jesus' pure family history, they seem to spoil it outright. They seem to suggest that Jesus does not belong. Why? Because, well, there was Tamar the Canaanite, and after Tamar there was Rahab the Jericho Canaanite, and then there was Ruth. Oh, what could you possibly say that's bad about Ruth? Come on. She is a picture of loyalty and devotion par excellence. Her story if you know the Old Testament, it's this little four-chapter book that happens right between the book of Judges and the book of 1 Samuel. And here is this little, tiny, idyllic, bright spot of joy set right between two of the hardest books in the Old Testament. What could you possibly say that's bad about Ruth? Well, you might say what the book says about her regularly. She is Ruth the Moabite. Through all four chapters of her story, we are constantly reminded of who she is. Who is she? She is Ruth the Moabite. Ruth from Moab. It's not like there's another Ruth in this story and we're in danger of confusing the two and so we need the clarification. She is from Moab. She is a Moabite. She is a foreigner living in a foreign place. She does not belong here the story is suggesting to us she is not at home. Although when we meet Ruth in chapter 1, it is Naomi who's not at home. Naomi is in Moab. All through chapter 1, we heard some of those verses, but all throughout the chapter, the word Moab keeps coming up over and over again. In the little town of Bethlehem, there is a famine. There is nothing to eat in the place that is called the house of bread. 
Ruth is set in the time of Judges, and it might as well be the wild, wild west. There's no peace in the land of Judah. There's no king. It's a time of decentralized communities and vigilante justice and these regional justice judges whom God raises up in order to chase away Israel's enemies. There is war with neighboring tribes. There is war within Israel's tribes. And the people of God in the book of Judges are waffling always between obeying Yahweh and doing what is right in their own eyes. Like a board that keeps warping no matter how many times you plane it straight, Israel keeps twisting and cupping away from the God who loves and saves them. And in the middle of these large global and regional forces of climate change and food scarcity and political instability, the story of Ruth zeroes in on a husband and a wife in the old little town of Bethlehem. Naomi and Elimelech, they have two sons named Malin and Kilian, whose names mean sickly and failing. So the house of bread is empty, the world is a scary place, and here is this husband and wife with sickly and failing sons who decide to go to Moab. Just in case we missed it, verse 2 says it again. They were from Bethlehem, they went to Moab. Now place, place does not mean quite the same thing to us in our world, so it's hard to understand what it means for them to leave Judah for Moab. My friends, this is more than about moving across town or out of state for a better job opportunity. This, this is... This is spiritual defection from your God and from your people. This is abandoning the place where you belong, your spiritual home, to live in your enemy's house. This is an act of betrayal. Moab once had a king who paid a man named Balaam to curse Israel out of existence. Moab was a people born of Lot's incestuous relationship with his daughter, Elimelech and Naomi go to Moab. The point of the, of the biblical storyline up until this point in Ruth has been that Israel, who had no home, would have a home. At great cost, God goes to great trouble to make for them a home in the land of Judah. Naomi and her family leave for Moab. They have turned their back, not on their friends or their community, but on God. Naomi is walking a spiritual path. She is walking a path away from home. She is on a journey that begins with restlessness, with believing that everything you need and want is somewhere else, and so you have no choice but to leave, reject your family or home, and go to a different place and find it, or else you will never be happy, whole, fulfilled. And it is a path that usually ends in losing the things you already had 
and in becoming lost yourself, which is what happens to Naomi. Ironically, tragically, Naomi winds up losing everything she had in Moab. Elimelech dies, Naomi's sons die, she is empty of sons and husband and security and future, and she is a stranger in a strange place. My friends, don't miss the irony. She left home because she was empty, and cruel irony that it is, she goes in search of what she doesn't have, only to lose everything that she did, and to realize that she had it all along too late. Man, does she lose. A sign of her lostness, her homelessness, is surely her bitterness, her resentment. Can you hear the alienation, the rejection, the bitterness in her complaints? Don't call me Naomi, she says at the end of chapter 1, greeting the women of Bethlehem who are glad to see her after 10 years away. Call me Mara, bitter, for the Lord has made me bitter. Empty Naomi spits bitter words at the Lord who has afflicted her. And it would seem that in this story, even God has become a stranger to Naomi. And she changes her name because she is now a stranger to herself. She is that lost. When she hears that the house of bread, Bethlehem, is full once more, she starts home, but not out of joy, simply because she has no other option. Ruth is a story about coming home and how difficult that is, which means that Ruth is also a story about leaving home. And leaving home, my friends, is something that we all understand. No, I don't mean literally. It is true that some of us have lived in this town our whole lives, served, worked, worshipped in this town our whole lives. No, by leaving, I mean spiritually. The Catholic priest Henry Nouwen wrote a magnificent book called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And in that book, he writes about how leaving home for us is a denial of the spiritual reality that we belong to God with every part of our being. Leaving home means ignoring the truth that God is the one who made us, who knitted us together in our mother's womb. Leaving home means that we go through life living as though we don't have one anymore, that we must look far and wide to find one, to make one. Leaving home means running away from the place where God dwells. And my friends, you can run from God without ever opening the front door. In his book, Searching for Home, Craig Barnes, who is a pastor, he tells the story of his father, who was a Baptist pastor who left home. By that, I mean he left Craig and his brother and his wife. 
when Craig and his brother were teenagers, their father divorced his wife in a kind of fit of restlessness, and he abandoned his sons. He ran and he ran, moving from place to place for the rest of his life. He would go to a church as a self-styled evangelist, and he would stay there until somehow his past caught up with him, and then he'd move again. Craig and his brother were always just one phone call or one mailing address behind. In fact, it wasn't until after he died that Barnes was able to catch him. In cleaning out his father's little trailer, Barnes observed that his dad kept a carefully packed suitcase, organized at all times as though ready to leave at a moment's notice. That was how he lived his life. He was a man always moving, never at home. Barnes writes this. For years up until that moment, I had rehearsed my favorite lie that my dad was an anomaly and that my life will never be anything like his. But I know it's not really true. Dad is an extreme illustration of what has already happened in my own soul and pretty much every soul I care for as a pastor. We are lost, and nothing is harder than finding home again. What I and most everyone I know are searching for is a lost home for the real home for which we yearn. It's not actually the place that we grew up that we try to get back to in nostalgia. It's not the new place we're trying to build in excitement and anticipation. It's the place where we were created to live in the first place, paradise. When Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, God placed an angel with a flaming sword at the eastern gate, and that is the Bible's way of saying that all of life is now spent east of Eden. Paradise has been lost and the yearning for it is the only thing that remains. Adam and Eve left the place that God had made for them, provided for them, filled for them. They had to leave because they had rejected the love and provision and promise of God who was their food and life in the garden. And now we live with a wound, the wound of that great rebellion in each of our hearts. We live in the wilderness east of Eden with this collective longing for a home where all of our needs are met, a place that we lost and we cannot find our, back to, our way back to because of sin. Sin is what brings alienation, my friends. We know this. When we lie to a friend or a spouse, the relationship gets broken. It's not permanent, not right away. But once we lie, we then have to cover and to pretend in order to protect the lie. And so there becomes distance. If we tell enough lies, our hearts harden to the selfishness and that alienation becomes a permanent gap. Sin brings not only alienation from one another, but it is what sent us packing from the garden in the first place. 
In fact, our collective sin has turned the whole world into a kind of wilderness. We have turned the world into a place where we can never be at home. Henry Nouwen charts what this is like for us, this leaving home, this journey away from home inside of us. He says, we begin to think that everything good is happening somewhere else. We become jealous and suspicious of others. We feel victimized by our surroundings and suspicious of what other people are doing or saying. We are always on our guard, losing inner freedom, and we start to divide the world into those who are for me and those who are against me. We begin to wonder if anyone ever cared at all, if anyone ever loved me. The world around us becomes dark, our hearts grow heavy, our body is filled with sorrow, our life loses meaning. We have become a lost soul. My friends, it is Advent, and the geography of Advent is wilderness. Wilderness, which is where we live. And the signs are around us. They are also within us. Resentment, bitterness, suspicion, fear. We struggle to see or to hear God like Naomi, whose journey home means much more than just moving back to Bethlehem. It means coming home to her God and to her own self. You know, it's funny, but Ruth, the, the character Ruth, the Moabite in the story, she is one of the only people who seems truly at home being a foreigner. Naomi is, is lost in her own bitterness and resentment and grief. She cannot even see the gift of Ruth's love and devotion to her, but Ruth goes to work anyway. She is good to Naomi, even when Naomi resents her. She stays and walks home with her, even though they walk home in silence. She is loyal, even though Naomi is cool. She volunteers to go gleaning in a country where she does not speak the language, and she is a foreigner in a strange land. She gives the food that she gleans to Naomi. She listens to her mother-in-law, even when Naomi cooks up this crazy plot to try to get Boaz to marry her with a threshing floor fling. Ruth the Moabite is not an Israelite, and yet there is a paradox here, because as the story unfolds, we see that in some ways she is more Israelite than many of the other characters in the story. And yet there is a problem here with this homecoming, Ruth is a Moabite, as the story won't let us forget. And she may act as the people of God, but she is still a widow without a family or a future or a name. She must be welcomed home too, even as she is part of how God brings Naomi home. She needs a home too. And that is where Boaz comes in. Boaz, this wealthy landowner who happens to be happens to be a near relative and kinsman redeemer. He sees Ruth's love and devotion to Naomi, even if she can't. He sees it in her gleaning, in her kindness, and even in the way she carries herself in the middle of the night on the threshing floor. 
when she makes herself totally available to him, as Naomi told her to, Boaz respects her all the more because he sees that she has done this for Naomi. And so he makes a plan to marry Ruth. Boaz, in the great denouement of the story, gathers the elders and witnesses together and he secures a marriage through some nifty bait-and-switch with this nameless kinsman. Hey, so-and-so, he says there in the city gate, Naomi has some land to sell. You're first in line. Do you want it? So-and-so says, yes. Boaz continues, oh, by the way, when you get Naomi's land, you also get the Moabite widow Ruth. Uh, actually, on second thought, I, I'm, um, I'm not really interested. You take it. Boaz declares that beautiful sentiment to the elders in verse 9 and 10. Today, you are witnesses that I have bought everything back from Naomi. I have acquired Ruth the Moabite as my wife, and I have done all of this so that Elimelech will not disappear. Do you see? In this story of homecoming, there is a family that has been lost and is in danger of being erased from memory forever. And so Boaz does all of this fancy arranging so that Elimelech will not be lost, so that his sons will not be lost, so that Naomi will not be lost. And because Ruth is a foreigner who needs a home, this is what a redeemer does. He pays a price to reclaim something that has been lost. And the women of Bethlehem in joy proclaim a blessing on Ruth and God enables her to conceive and the story ends with this beautiful picture of home and a baby sitting on Naomi's lap a glistening tear in her eye. And in the closing words of the story, Ruth the Moabite is recognized for who she is, better than seven sons. Through Ruth, Naomi has been given a redeemer, who is not Boaz, by the way, but this child who will, what? Restore her life in her old age, who will give her back what has been lost and taken from her, who will fill her again from all the emptiness that she has experienced in the journey away from home. God uses Ruth to bring a redeemer into Naomi's life, and with the child in her lap, she is filled with unspeakable joy. Through a person Naomi overlooked from the wrong place and the least likely of circumstances. Even through death, God was at work in this foreign woman to bring a redeemer. But why is it that Boaz did not get hung up on Ruth's ancestry? Did you wonder that? When, when everyone else seems to, why didn't Boaz? How was he able to see that she was good Ruth, like the good Samaritan, right from the beginning? Matthew gives us a hint in his genealogy. Boaz's mother was Rahab, 
the Canaanite. Boaz knew in his own story God's redempting work. Boaz knew how God could work through the story of a foreigner like his mother Rahab. She gave birth to Boaz, who married Ruth, who gave birth to Redeemer, who we know is not just Naomi's grandson Obed, but another Redeemer who will come generations later born in the city of David in Bethlehem. Friends, I love that Ruth ends with this clip of a genealogy which Matthew picks up. Like like all the homecoming that Ruth and Naomi experience, like all the joy of this story that happens in the midst of a dark and dangerous world, like all the hope and wonder of being redeemed gets passed forward. Like the hope keeps going for future generations. Like the story of Ruth isn't over. And nor is the longing for a redeemer, a child who can bring us home to God and restore all that is lost, which is what we have already sung together this morning. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins. Release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Friends, in this world, we walk a path of spiritual alienation from God. Advent is about realizing how lost we have become in the wilderness. And in Advent, we remember the one who came to walk this path of wilderness among us. No, for us. No, to redeem us. Friends, the story of the gospel is that Jesus leaves home He leaves his home of glory and belovedness with the Father and Spirit. And for some reason, he comes here. He leaves his Father's house. He gives all, everything up that God has given to him by right. And he lives in rags and slavery until finally even his own life is taken from him. He knows exile and hostility and loneliness and rejection In fact, he gets so utterly lost in it that on the cross, Jesus can no longer sense his Father's presence and he cries out, Father, why have you forsaken me? Jesus loses himself and his life. He squanders all of it in a far country. Jesus is walking the path of our spiritual alienation. Why? Why would he do this? Why would one who knows his Father's love and pleasure and glory give all of that up and squander it? Is he restless like us? No. He does all of this as the obedient son. He does this for us. Do you see 
the Father and the Son had this plan all along that He should come and give it all up. Come to the wilderness because this is where we are. God does all of this fancy arranging to redeem us. And at great cost to Himself, Jesus walks our path of spiritual homelessness. No, He doesn't just walk it. He redeems it and he turns it into a path home. We call him Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins and all of the alienation that comes with it. We call him Redeemer for though for through this child all the lost children of Israel come home and not just the children of Israel but even foreign women. Even Canaanites, even Moabites, even you and me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, you end your gospel telling us that all authority has been given to you and that we should go now into all the earth. We should go to Gentiles and Jews and strangers and foreigners, to Moabites and Canaanites and Romans, to royalty and the wretched of the earth, to prisons and palaces, to friends and foe, to hospitals and hotels, to rich and poor, to the just and the unjust, to the weak and the strong, to colleague and co-worker, and to teach them, show them, Proclaim to them the good news that we have a Redeemer who redeems our life from the grave by going to the grave and coming out alive. And that now the lost can be found and the dead can be made alive. And that in the wilderness, God has made a path home. In this season of wilderness, we ask, O oh God, that you would show us how you have come to make your dwelling among us, to make your home with us. I pray this in your name. Amen. Friends, we continue to learn from God, to receive and to take in this story together by raising our voices in song and by taking opportunities to reflect on it and wonder at it together. One of the ways we do that is with, for our third through fifth grade students, our Echo Age students, who have an opportunity to talk about what they're hearing and learning in church with some of our leaders. Do we have any of our Echo students with us today? Come on up, guys, because we, we have a blessing for you. People of God, what is our prayer? Almighty and loving God, thank you for the gift of your word. This is you guys. Help us to believe what we have heard and live in ways that honor you above all. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Friends, we continue our response by singing. Would you rise in body or in spirit?
people whose story is grace, we are those sent by God to witness in our work and our life and our prayer to the redeeming work of our God who is even now making all things new. Friends, would you lift up your eyes and open your hands and receive God's parting blessing. Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen. Let's go singing.
shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? What the gladsome tidings be, which inspire your heavenly song? Thank you. Great job.